We've spoken this morning about the story. The story of God, the story of Christ's birth. We've read the Advent reading, and it's had to do with a story. Now, that may or may not mean very much to you, the fact that it's a story, but the reality is we all tell ourselves a story. We all tell ourselves a story that is going to help us make sense of our world, make sense of who we are in the world. And sometimes those stories are true and sometimes they're not true. Sometimes they're a bigger story and sometimes it's a smaller story. This morning, I just want to pause and reflect on God's great story that He has been telling this whole time that we're reflecting on this Advent season. The story of God, of course, can be seen in uh, the, the narrative of the birth of Jesus. And we can appreciate it as such, but I, I want you to realize that that's not the predominant story that most of us have heard, and I think probably even tell ourselves. Because the predominant story in our world today is that there is nothing outside of human existence that we can't see or feel or touch. That we can't explore by scientific method that there, the de- defined boundaries of human existence can be tested and understood. And that's a view of the world, a story that people tell themselves that some of the time works, and I think some of the time doesn't. It's a very different story than the story of the birth of Jesus, where God who is outside enters the world. And so, Christmas puts us right on the dividing line, where we're going to have to decide... Which story we believe. Which story we're going to be part of. In order to make this clear, and I I hope to try and do that, the stories become more clear if you think in terms of Christmas songs. We uh, We just sang a song. There's a line in there. Absolutely beautiful. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. There is from outside, coming into this world, someone who is going to make dawn break in a way that we've never experienced before. That is a Christian worldview. That is, that is what God is intending to communicate in the person of His Son. Or, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. And there is a kingliness about Jesus that you have to deal with at Christmas. Or take Silent Night, for instance. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. 
So there is this view on Christmas that says something supernatural, something out of this world is happening in the person of Jesus. Someone, unlike any other, is lying in that manger. Okay, That may not be news to you, right? You came to church on Christmas Sunday morning. Fair enough. The other worldview, however, is every bit as popular even at Christmas. Okay, The songs that represent that view... Jingle bells. Jingle bells. Jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Have you ever ridden in a one-horse open sleigh? But you sing about it anyway. Right? Or, deck the halls with boughs of holly. Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Okay, Really? Give me a little more than fa-la-la-la-la. You see, there's a very empty sense in which when you have a view of the world where nothing supernatural happens, all you've got are la-la-la-la-la, la-la-la-la. Or you can dream of a white Christmas. The ones like you used to know. That's fine. But it's devoid of the hope. Devoid of this opportunity to have the world transformed. But there are really those two alternatives. You might say, well, there's a third one, Scott, you're not thinking of. Okay, there, there is a little bit of Christmas magic. Right, that's not completely over here with decking the halls, and not completely over here with uh, receive her king, but is some like light magic, like Frosty the Snowman, you know, when he had the corn cob pipe and the button nose, and all of a sudden, what something magical happens, or Santa Claus is coming to town, right? He knows if you've been good or bad, so be good for goodness sake. How does he know that? You see, we even when people are over here and their worldview is defined in the box, they want a little magic. Really, Frosty is really over here. Santa is really over here. But they're an expression of a deeper longing to say that if this world is all there is, it really doesn't have much meaning. There really isn't an end to it. A purpose for it. All there is is just this long timeline on which I am a small blip and then it's over. Unless you view the world in a way that allows for the supernatural to enter nature. And that's the story that we celebrate at Christmas. And I'm going to suggest to you there's a little bit in all of us that says, I don't understand that. I can't believe it, therefore. 
I, and we, we really want to get our minds around something that we just can't get our minds around. And yet it's into this story that we're being invited this morning. You're being invited now into what God, who is out there, is doing in the world in here. You're being invited into the story that we've been rehearsing in these Advent readings for the past several months, or past several weeks. You're being invited in to the way that God defines the world and His plan to set it right. Think about it. What we've discovered as we've been reading uh, these last few weeks, there, there has been the story of God. It began in the Garden of Eden. And it began when God shaped this world to be exactly what He wanted. And He put people in there so that they might have a loving relationship with Him and that He might be with them. And that's the way it was to be. Until our great-great-grandmother and great-great-grandfather took the fruit off of the forbidden tree and took a bite and said, we don't really want that. What we really want is we really want to run our own lives. We want to define the world how we want to define the world. And they did exactly way back then what we're doing today. And that's when sin entered the world. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just them that bore the consequences of the sin. It was the entire world. Everything broke. Nothing's been working like it should since then. And since then, it's been just like a child with a Christmas toy. I think this is one of the reasons that Christmas is a struggle for me. Because I remember as a boy, getting a toy, being so excited about it, starting to play with it, and it broke. And I wanted it to be fixed. And I took it to my parents, can you fix it? And they couldn't fix it. And I held on to this broken toy in my closet hoping that someday it would get fixed and it never did. And here we have the story of what God is doing in the world to fix the broken world. And it's a story where God enters it and God is working in it and it's not a story of a world in a small box of the things that are observable and definable. It's a supernatural story. And what God did is God began to redeem the world through His... um, through his activity, through people. And then one of the next things that happened, though, is the world got worse instead of better. And God destroyed the world and saved one family, uh, Noah's family. And uh, through him then, began to initiate again this program of fixing the world. A few generations later, he chose one man named Abraham. And he promised Abraham that he was going to bless the entire world. Through him. He was going to rescue this world through Abraham and his seed and his children. That was what God was going to do. He was going to restore it to what it had been. Only problem, the problem is that Abraham's a really old man who's got a really old wife. 
and who have no children. But God promised your children are going to be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea when they didn't have any. And Scripture says that Abraham believed and God gave them in their old age a son who in turn had a son named Jacob, who in turn had twelve sons, who fathered the twelve tribes of Israel, from whom this Messiah, this seed, this one who would fix the problem would come. The promise was through the line of Judah, the oldest, or one of the sons, not the oldest, that the, the scepter or the ruler would never leave his family. The only problem then is that that family, those twelve boys, went down into Egypt because there was a famine, and then they were made slaves and experienced the worst of the brokenness. They experienced the, the absolute most bitter taste of what it meant to live in a world that's broken. But God wasn't finished. God provided a rescuer named Moses who through many supernatural signs delivered the people from Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea. God was at work. And then, they all died in the wilderness. And again, it looked as though God's work was finished. It looked as though you could look in the box and say, yeah, we're all going to live just a little longer and then we're all going to die in the wilderness. It's not going to be any good. And then God brought another deliverer, Joshua, who would lead them into the promised land so that the promise of God for the nations and the promise of God for Abraham's descendants would find a place. So there was a place and a promise. And Joshua led them in and they conquered the nations. And everything looked like it was going to work until, well, for one generation, till they forgot Joshua. And when they forgot Joshua... The Scripture says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Okay? Again, this whole story, you see, see what this story is doing, is this whole story is reminding us of the story we're in right now, isn't it? They're doing what's right in their own eyes and the whole thing's going to pieces. One of the things they did in, that they thought was right in their own eyes was ask for a king. We want to be like everybody else. We want a king. So they got a king. He wasn't a good king. God replaced him with David. And David was a man after God's heart. David was part of this story that was uh, really a pivotal piece of the story because he established a kingdom. He, as king, ruled over Israel and life was close to what God intended. for a couple years. And it began to erode even in David's lifetime. And then his uh, sons, and through generations, 
completely abandoned God. Completely decided on a different story than the story God was telling through David. And when they did, God finally said, that's enough. And you could say He washed His hands of Israel. Washed His hands of that plan. And He sent them into exile. Away from the promised land. Away from the promise. And they went to Babylon. They went to Assyria. And they were gone. And God was silent. That's a story we've rehearsed up until now. The story that God has been telling about His rescue for the world. And God left it. And it looked like it was undone. And it looked like, well, the best story we have is what we can see. The best story we have here in exile is, you know, make the most of this, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. Because it's all you got. But God wasn't finished. God wasn't finished God was still writing the same story that He began with. That He would be God and His people would belong to Him and they would be together. He would love them. They would love Him. And the world would be as it should be. Which is fine to say, but no one experienced it that way then. And see, that's where we pick up the story in... Luke chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn to Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, is where uh, Jesus, you might say, enters. And He enters through kind of the back door, I suppose. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Now, before you read any farther, I just normally I read more of the scripture than that, but I'm going to stop. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. The sixth month is the sixth month from when Gabriel appeared before. He appeared to an old man named Zechariah, the husband of Mary's uh, cousin. And he said to him, God has not forgotten his story. God remembers. In fact, that's what Zechariah's name means. God remembers. And you are, your wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son and he's going to be the one who um, prepares the way of the Lord. In other words, the Lord is coming. Zechariah didn't believe what Gabriel told him. Okay? And so, he was unable to speak until his son was born. And six months after Gabriel went to him, Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now the other thing that you need to know as we pick up the story here is that the angel's name was Gabriel. Now, if you have heard of the angel Gabriel, you might, you might think he's sort of everywhere. Like, he's one of the famous angels. And the reality is he probably is one of the famous angels. But he isn't everywhere. He's mentioned only one other 
place besides here. And that one other place is in Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9. So he's Daniel 8 and 9 and Luke 1. And that's all he's got for being a famous angel. It's not so good. But in Daniel 9, Gabriel visits Daniel. Daniel's reading the prophecy of Jeremiah, which had to do with how long God would be quiet. How long God would leave His people in exile. How long was it going to be? And Daniel was reading this. And, Jer- and uh, Gabriel came to Daniel and he gave him a vision uh, of 70 weeks or 70 sevens. And there was going to be these 70 sevens that were going to be fulfilled and then all the exiles would be gathered together under God. Which sounds a very, very much like the beginning of the story. Where God was their God and they were His people. It was going to happen. And Gabriel shared that with Daniel. And then Gabriel disappears and God goes silent for almost 500 years. Until now. And what I think it means that it's Gabriel that talks to Mary is that that is like the first stitch from the, from the first part of the story to this climax of the story. That what is going to happen next has to do with what happened then. And so in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. This is pretty much the part of the Christmas story we know, right? There's Joseph, there's Mary. Joseph is descended from David. So by birth, then, his children would be descended from David. His wife's name was Mary. We know of their pilgrimage to Bethlehem and the whole thing. But the angel came to Mary and said to her, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And there, even in the greeting, we see two things that make us realize that this is that old story. That this is a story that God is telling about what He is doing in the world because it says, greeting, O favored one. We'll see in a moment that to be favored is to receive grace. It's the same word in the original language. Greetings, one who has received grace. Because the Lord is with you. See, in the very beginning... God was with His people. His people rebelled. They were sent out of the garden. God was with His people. They rebelled. They were sent out of the promised land. And now God again is saying, the Lord is with you. And so, she hears this. (laughs) And she was greatly troubled at this saying. Imagine that, being uh, awakened by an angel. and I mean, I can't imagine being cool with that. 
Like, ooh. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And her um, intent to understand is an invitation, really, to all of us to try and do the same. It's an invitation to us to try and discern what is going on here. The Scripture says Mary was trying to figure out what was going on here. And we're invited to do the same. This story that God has been telling is now resuming. And that's what the angel is pointing out to Mary. And he said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Or you have found grace with God. I think it's very easy to romanticize Mary and Joseph and say somehow they're so honorable that God's picking them because they're, you know, somehow special. The reality is, I mean, I think that they were good people, but that's not why God picked them. God, God chose Mary simply because He gave her grace. And grace comes apart from anything that you deserve. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have received grace. And so she's trying to figure out what is going on here. And the angel continues. And now he's going to begin making sense of who this baby's going to be. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You're going to conceive in your womb, bear a son, call his name Jesus. And right there, he begins to draw together these parts of the story. The name Jesus in Greek is the same uh, as the Hebrew Joshua. The one who was the Savior who brought them into the promised land. The name itself means salvation. In fact, that's when the angel spoke to Joseph. He said, you will call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. And see right there, even when we're told what to call His name, we have to decide, is this really going to be the case? Or are we going to see the world only in terms that we can simply define it? Or is something from the outside going to come and rescue the world? What the angel's telling Mary is, you're going to conceive and bear a son, and he will be the Savior. He will come from outside and save the world. From yonder will break this new and glorious dawn. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. This this child is going to be unique, to say the least. He's not going to be one of those players that could go either way, who may or may not do God's will. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Because He is going to come and set right all of those other wrongs. He will, he will fix all that was broken and will one day unite under God 
in a loving relationship with Him. He's been called the Son of the Most High. Jesus is called Son of the Most High only one other time. And that's by, that's by a demon who knows exactly what Jesus has come to do. He said, leave me alone, Son of the Most High. Because he knew that all of the rebellion aimed at God was going to be stopped by this one. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And so here we have this, this, uh, another stitch putting together the old part of the story now with the new part. To say that he is going to sit on the throne that was promised to his father David. We'll see that in just a moment. But David, where we had that one glimpse of the kingdom as it should be, now it's going to be long to the son of Mary. And he will reign. This son will be a king over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. One of my pet peeves, I think, about Christmas is that Jesus looks so safe. It's just so safe to put this little baby in this little feeding box and he might disturb me when he cries. But really, I don't have to necessarily deal with him as a king. But what is what God is announcing here through the angel is that this baby laid in this feeding box is going to be the King of Kings. He's not merely going to be the King of Kings. He is going to reign forever. He is going to fulfill all of the promises. Promises made to Adam and to Abraham and to Moses into David. And he's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. This house of Jacob is interesting because most of the time he's called Israel. Not Jacob. He had two names. Lots of people in the Bible do. Most of the time he's called Israel. But here he's called Jacob. Really when... It's like when your parents use your middle name. Right? Some of you know exactly what that means. <laughs> when your parents use your middle name, you're in trouble. When he's considered the house of Jacob rather than the house of Israel, he's in trouble. And all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout this old part of the story, when, they're talk, when it's talked about the house of Jacob, it's in terms of judgment or rescue from judgment. It's like God is using His middle name here to say He is going to reign over all of this rebellion that has been such a problem for so long. He's going to be king and there's going to be no end to His kingdom. And this is, this is really the, the rope that does tie these two together because here is the promise that God made to David way back. Long before uh, God became silent long before uh, anybody thought of Jesus. And I've been with you wherever you went 
and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name like the name of the great ones on earth. In your house, this is God speaking to David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so here comes Gabriel to tell Mary, this baby will be given the throne of David and will reign on it forever. He is the one about whom this entire story has been told. Well, even later, I mean, this is such a major theme throughout the whole book that Isaiah picks it up in his prophecy right as the people are being, being sent into exile. And he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government's going to be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government. And of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And it is this that Gabriel is telling this young woman named Mary. that her son will sit on this throne. It will be her son that carries forth this kingdom forever. It's no wonder then that when he came, his message was in the Gospels, the kingdom of heaven is here. You have to deal with the kingdom of heaven and the rule of God, just like Adam and Eve did. Just like the people in Noah's day did. Just like the children of Israel did with Moses when they had to wander in the wilderness. Just like they did under the monarchy of David when they got sent into exile. You too are going to have to deal not with a safe little baby in a manger, but with a reigning king in heaven forever. And Mary hears this. And if it wasn't startling enough that an angel shows up to her and starts talking... It's certainly startling now that this entire story that God has been telling all along will find its fulfillment in her son. And so Mary responds very naturally and says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Mary had the talk with her mom and dad. She knows how these things happen. And she can't figure it out. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so here we have really what we in the church call the virgin birth. By which we mean that Mary did not know a man and yet did conceive a son. And it is this conception that is completely without precedent, unique in history. Now, 
makes this child special. He is not merely the son of David claiming David's throne. He is now the son of God. Now we are firmly in this worldview that says we make no sense of the world apart from the invasion of God. We can make no sense of the hope for humanity. This ultimate reign of righteousness and justice as it said in Isaiah, unless we have God invading human existence in the person of Jesus. And we do. And He is now called Son of David, Son of God. And the angel continues with what seems to us as minor details. Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her uh, who is called barren. She is an old woman and now she's with child for nothing will be impossible with God. You see, it's right here that these two views of the world come into conflict. Because there is this, this view of the world where nothing from outside human existence can enter, where everything can be understood and discerned and figured out and studied. And there are things that are impossible. And the righting of the wrongs in the world. And the solving of injustice and unfairness. All of those things are seemingly impossible because there's nothing from outside to rescue. <laughs> to say that's the predominant view of the world is, uh, is really stating the obvious. Uh, I don't know how many of you saw Google. Uh, Google's search for 2019, their, the key to their search in 2019, they made a really nice video of this, was a search for heroes. That's totally what their search um, summary was. Because in a world where nothing from the outside ever comes in, somewhere you've got to find some resolution. And there is, the world is on a search for it. But we're told that here at Christmas time, a baby born of a virgin would be son of David, son of God. He would enter the world and because of Him, nothing would be impossible with God. God was going to finish the story. God's going to bring it to a resolution. God's going to make it what God intended it to be in the beginning, regardless of the brokenness and rebellion of people. And you can decide what you're going to do with it. You're going to have to decide, am I going to be over here or am I going to be over here? Am I going to believe that this Jesus is who He said He is? Is who the angel told us He would be? Or am I just going to try and get through the Christmas season without anything supernatural going on? Mary said, okay, I believe. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to Your Word. And the angel departed from her. 
And what Mary did is what each of us have to do. She had to say, am I going to believe the story God's telling here? Am I going to be caught up in His story or am I going to be over here in the box trying to create a small one of my own? And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to Your Word. And so I think the question really for all of us is, how are you going to see the world this Christmas? How are you going to respond to the story God has been telling that we've been uh, sort of rehearsing this longing that God was going to come and make things right and the way He did it was most unexpected in the person of a little baby born to a virgin who claimed to be the Son of David and the Son of God. And if that is true, then anything is possible with God. All of the things that you look at in the world that are broken. All of the things that hurt you. All of the people who have broken relationships with you. All of those things now are under the sphere of this King Jesus. And I trust that you, like Mary, will respond in faith to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is, this is most unbelievable. It's most unbelievable that rather than let the world run itself, You entered it in the person of Christ. God with us. So that by our simple trust that You are true and You are doing what You said You would do, that we might be the beneficiaries of this story. We might ourselves get caught up in it and find the resolution of all things to be just what You wanted it to be from the beginning. And so God, I ask that You would grant us grace to believe. Father, when a, it's like the man that encountered Jesus who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This seems most unusual and spectacular to us. God, would You help our unbelief and cause us to believe, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue responding to the arrival of Jesus.